0: Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Michael. I'm our youth and young adults pastor here at Freedoms, and I'm glad to be with you on this Palm Sunday. We're in the middle right now of a small series that outlines kind of this overarching narrative of Scripture that's encapsulated in the gospel. And me, when we think about the gospel, we've talked about that often. We just center in on the death and resurrection of Jesus, and of course, that's the crux and the pinnacle and what all of this is leading towards and what we celebrate this weekend. But the story of the gospel has a scope that's all the way from Genesis to Revelation, and that's kind of what we've been unpacking over the course of this series. And so we've seen all the way even in the beginning in creation that God created everything to be good, that he created it in a state of shalom, of the way that things should be. And we learned last week from Pastor Brandon that sin entering the picture shattered that shalom of creation as we decided that, you know, we could run our own lives instead of being submitted to God. And last week was a little bit uncomfortable probably as we looked at our part in this story and acknowledging, you know, our sin can produce tension in us. And honestly, it should because it is uncomfortable to think about the part that we play in the narrative of Scripture and it's important to recognize how short we fall in order to really appreciate who God really is and what it is that he's done and is doing for us. But thankfully, we don't have to just stay in that place of tension and discomfort and pain. We don't have to just be continually beating ourselves up and thinking, "Whoa, is me, like I really am just terrible. Thankfully, God doesn't just leave us to fail on our own without any hope at all. Yeah, it's true that we have erred in a major way and that we sin and fall and mess up and come up short. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So yeah, that's true. But ever since the beginning, God has had a plan and he's had a plan of redemption for us and that's what we're going to talk about today. There's reasons why God is the way that he is and why he does the things that he does. Our God is a God who redeems us. And that sounds great, and that sounds awesome, but some of us might be thinking, and at times I thought, you know, like, what is redemption exactly? It's a word that gets kind of thrown around in Christian circles, it's Christianese, as it were, but maybe we don't actually have a full grasp on what redemption actually is and why it is such a major part of this gospel narrative that we see in Scripture And so today, we're going to take a quick tour through Scripture all the way from Genesis to Revelation, looking at the definition of redemption and just having a few points to help us um, solidify God's redemptive narrative throughout Scripture so that we can have confidence and hope moving towards Easter and the fact that we do have a God who really does redeem us. But before we get into that, why don't we take a moment and just set our hearts and pray. So bow your heads with me. God, we thank you that you're a God who is present to us, that you're here with us. I pray right now as we look at scripture and look at your word that you would um, make things clear to us, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see and understand and to take in what it is that you have for us today. God, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for everything you show us today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so we're going to be diving in today. Um, Before we get into looking through Scripture at where redemption is, I want to talk for a little bit about a biblical definition of redemption as they kind of talked about it and experienced it, how in the Old Testament and in the New Testament they would go about defining redemption. So I looked up a few of the different words that they used to describe redeeming and redemption, and in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, there was a word that's pronounced ga'al, Can I hear all of you say ga'al? Nice, well done. Ga'al is a Hebrew word and it means to ransom. It means to buy back, to purchase. Um, There's also a sense in which it means that you are the next of kin, as in you're somebody who's going to be taking care of the family in case something happens to the family. That's ga'al. It's this idea of ransom and buying back. Now, in the New Testament, in Greek, they used kind of two different words that played off of each other to build up this idea of redemption. And one of those words is lutra'o. Can you guys say lutra'o? Nice, well done, well done. Lutrao is a word that means to release, to restore, to um, give something back to its rightful owner, buying back what was previously lost. So we've got this idea of ransoming, this idea of restoration and giving back to somebody. And lastly, there's another word that paired with that, that is "agarazzo." Everybody say "agarazzo." Nice, you guys did great with that, better than I did when I was learning these words in college. Well done. Agarazzo is kind of a more commonplace marketplace word and has to do more with just like buying and selling stuff. It's to buy something. But it has more to do, the connotation of the word has to do with transferring ownership from the seller to the buyer. So if I sell something to you, that agorazo has to do with like that thing is no longer mine, but it belongs to you. That's agorazo. So between all three of these, we've got you this idea of ransom, this idea of restoring, buying back, of transferring ownership from one thing to another. So redemption is a pretty broad concept biblically. It covers a lot of ground. And when it's used in context of God and who he is towards us and what he does, it's about God reclaiming ownership of our lives, buying us back, ransoming us from our slavery to sin and death, and reestablishing our relationship with him so that we can serve and love him. And if I think about like How do you kind of consolidate all of that into something a little easier to understand? I would say that to put it simply, redemption encompasses the actions and attitudes of God to reclaim for himself what was enslaved by somebody else or something else. Redemption is God's, it's all of who God is, it's everything that he does to reclaim for himself what was enslaved by something else. And that's kind of what we're going to unpack here today, that everything that God is and everything that he's done encapsulated in the person and work of Jesus is to buy back, to bring back, to restore back to himself those things, including us, which were enslaved by something else. And so the Bible describes redemption in lots of different places, not only just with those words, but like there's lots of people who wrote about this very act of redemption. And for our purposes, we're going to be looking at redemption through the lens of Galatians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it there right now. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4, just verses 4 through 7. Now, Galatians is one of the epistles, letters written by Paul to churches in Galatia, and his actual purpose in writing them was that he was reaffirming this gospel message to them, telling them about who God is and the things that he has done. And so today, we're going to be looking at Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. It'll also be up on the screen if you want to follow along there as well. I'll give you a moment, but it says this, but... keep that Galatians 4 passage over. We're going to open. We're going to be referring to that over and over as we go through today. So here's kind of where we're going. Again, this topic of redemption is so vast that it'll be an impossible task to really cover every aspect of it in the time that we have here today, but um, I'm just going to give us a few things that can help us to frame God's redemptive work as we find it throughout scripture. And so if you could go back with me now to Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, um, 4 and this little bit of 5 here. That's kind of where we're going to start. It said, again, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And that when the fullness of time had come is kind of where we're starting here because the first thing we can know about God's redemption is that God's redemption is constant. God's redemption is a constant redemption. And what I mean by that is that God has always had and has always worked to carry out a plan for our redemption. And even more than that, he's done it through the person and work of Jesus. Again, we see that when the fullness of time had come, when the right time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, he was a human, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Like This has always been in motion, this has always been God's plan. And the first time that we see God's plan in action, in motion, is all the way back in Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's something called the Proto-Evangelium, which is a ridiculously large theological word term, but it breaks down into two parts, really. Proto means first, and Evangelium is just the Greek word for gospel, for good news. So this little verse is the first instance of the good news of Jesus. Genesis 3.15 says that I'll put enmity between you and the woman. This is God talking to the serpent in the garden. He'll put um, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. And so like we learned last week, immediately after their massive mess up, which is probably a huge understatement, in the garden, God, there are some consequences that come as a result of the actions of all involved. And here, this is what God is telling the serpent in the garden. And this is regarded, this Genesis 3.15 passage, is regarded as the first promise of one who is to come who will overthrow Satan, who will crush his head. And that person is, eventually you find out, Jesus. That comes from the lineage of Adam and Eve. He's born of a woman. And we see that God continues to uphold this idea and this plan of redemption of both people and of nations all throughout Scripture. His redemption is constant. It has always been in the works. And so we're just going to take a look at a few examples of that that we see in Scripture. And as we go, you can write down some of those um, verses and places up there. It would take a long time if we really just sat and read through all of them. So we're going to be moving a little quickly here. But if you need more of those references or want to come talk, I'm more than happy to share those things with you. But let's just take a little quick tour of God's constant redemption. Exodus 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, paraphrasing, that God promises redemption to Israel, even as they're enduring immediate hardship as actual, literal slaves. We often talk about redemption in, like, that we're being ransomed back, that we were slaves to sin, but here, they were actual slaves, they were in slavery. And he reminds them that he's their God. He will rescue them. It's a theme that comes up again and again as God is moving and working in Israel, that he reminds them of his provision and his plan to keep them as his own. That's something he's always been at work doing. We see in the book of Ruth that Boaz, he's um, part of Ruth's extended family. He's a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And that's a phrase that comes up a lot in the Old Testament. It was a really big deal in ancient Israel. This idea of a kinsman redeemer is that there would be somebody who would come in and step in to take care of the family if there was something had happened and there was nobody there to support them. And so Ruth didn't have anybody. And as a woman back then, she didn't have a whole lot of power to be able to make it on her own. And so Boaz steps in as this kinsman redeemer to um, be there and to care for her when she could not, And there's many instances then where God's redemption throughout the Old Testament is talked about like he is their kinsman redeemer. The way they wrote it would have alluded to kind of that same imagery that he was the one that would take care of them when they didn't have anybody or when they were falling away or falling astray. So this idea of the kinsman redeemer is a good picture of God's redemptive work that he's always been about If you go to the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says that he is here not to give his life as a ransom for many, that his life is being put on the line to buy back the lives of many. And we see in the letters written all these epistles, especially Paul, over and over and over again, that redemption is tied to Jesus, that the redemption of our lives happens when we are found in Jesus Christ. And so we see all throughout Scripture that God has always had this plan in, in place, that he's always had in mind the redemption of all things, and that it all comes back to um, being found in the person and work of Jesus. God's redemption is constant. He's always been about redeeming those things that he's made and the things that he loves. Because redemption isn't something that God simply feels like he has to do. It isn't just an obligation on him to help us or save us because we're the ones that, you know, we put our distance between God. Like, God doesn't owe anybody anything, and yet he chooses to step in and to redeem and to save. Like, why? We see throughout scriptures in the Old Testament and New Testament that this is what he's always done. He continues to point people to the fact that he redeems us through different people and different examples and different stories. And it all ultimately culminates in the person and actions of Jesus. And he does all of this, not because he has to, but because it is who he is. And that's our second point for the day, that God's redemption isn't just constant, but actually God's redemption, these acts of redemptive work that we see all throughout Scripture, they reveal God's character to us. God is always holding out in front of us who he really is and what it is that he wants as he's in the business of redeeming and buying back and rescuing us from the things that hold us bondage. God's redemption reveals God's character. So go with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 4 again. We're going to look now at verse 5. So again, we've learned that God sent his son into the world at the right time. He was born of a woman, born under the law, and it says... All this was because he came to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God's desire and action of redemption reveals his heart towards us. He does all of this. Jesus came so that we might receive adoption into God's family, so that we might be able to be brought back in to be in right relationship and right standing with God. God wants things to be restored to that shalom, to that everything is exactly as it should be. And what that includes is humanity being in right relationship with God, again, through the person of Jesus. And we see this all throughout Scripture, that God's heart is revealed from Genesis to Revelation. His desire is to reclaim us from the things that hold us captive, to reclaim us from the things that we allow to hold us captive. He wants to be in relationship with us. And it's here in this verse that we see that word we talked about, agorazo, um, that we have been bought and that our ownership is transferred from our own sin, from our own things that we were slaves to, to God. That's what he wants. He wants to buy us back from those things, and he is now the one who owns us instead of the things we allow to take over our lives. And we see this all throughout Scripture. We see God's heart revealed to us through his redemptive action all throughout Scripture. So here's just a few places where we kind of see God revealing to us who he actually is and what he wants. His redemption reveals his character. In 1 Samuel 15, um, it tells us that God tells the Israelites that I don't just want sacrifices, I want obedience. There were these different sacrificial systems that were in place that people could um, fulfill and then they would be forgiven or they would be put in right standing again for all of these different things. But God tells them that like, I don't just want these empty sacrifices, I don't just want you walking through the, um, you know, just the mundane of religious activity, but I want your obedience, I want you, I want you to be joining my work in the first place. In Exodus 6, verse 7, after what we read before and many other places, God tells this often to Israel as they follow him, that you will be my people and I will be your God. He wants us to belong to him and not to anything else. He wants us to be his people and for him to be our God. That's what he actually wants and desires. And as he was working with Israel um, and being with them, he reminded them of this over and over and over again. There's a book called Hosea where the prophet Hosea, um, his wife is unfaithful and she leaves him and um, God makes him go and take her back as an example to Israel of God's desire to redeem Israel in spite of their unfaithful behavior. Israel would constantly run off and chase after other things and other gods and so God God had Hosea do that as a message to them of this is what God's heart towards you is actually like. I want to redeem you, to bring you back to me, even if this is how you are. This is still what I want for you. In 1 Kings and in a whole bunch of other places, God repeatedly holds out space for repentance, saying that if they turn to me, yet if they repent, then they can come back and be with me and we can enter into this space again where I, they are my people and I am their God. And if God didn't want to redeem things, there was no reason for him to hold out space for people to repent and to turn around. But his heart towards us is that he wants to be with us. And so there was opportunity after opportunity for people to repent and turn to God. In John chapter 4, Jesus tells us that everybody who drinks from the water I give them will never go thirsty again. Jesus desires to be the one to fill us and fulfill us and to take care of us. And we see all throughout the epistles, Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks of the fact that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love when we are found in Jesus Christ. God's redemption reveals God's character, and you see it over and over and over again. That's why I'm out of breath. There's so many examples that I left off of this. God's redemption reveals his character. Because of his love, because of that, his redemption is the disposition of God towards us. He wants to be with us, and he makes a way for that to be so. Then we can ask, like, why? Why does he do that? Is it just because he wants to, you know, make everything nice again? Is he kind of anxious, like, oh, like the world's a little out of sorts. I don't like that. I got to set everything right. Like, no. We see God's love and desire for relationship continuously on display throughout Scripture. And it's often in conjunction with this idea of redemption. We're not just redeemed arbitrarily, He doesn't just rescue us from sin and then just kind of set us there to, you know, exist. But we're actually redeemed with purpose, to be reunited with God in Jesus. We're redeemed from the things that enslave us, but we're also redeemed to a purpose. We're redeemed to something. And the crux of that something, the reason for all of it, is found in Jesus. Our third point for today is that God's redemption is cruciform. And cruciform is just a word that means that something is cross-shaped, but the thought behind it is that the place we see redemption at its absolute clearest is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God's redemption is on the most full display in the person and in the works of Jesus Christ. Go with me, if you will, to Galatians 4, verse 6, that next verse that we've got. Um, And it says this, And because you are sons, because you've been adopted into God's family, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And this is the whole point. This is the only way that we can have that deep, intimate relationship with God like he so desires for us. That Abba is like a very just personal, intimate way to refer to a father. It's like a a dad or something like that you would only call your father and that he would know. But the only way that we can call God dad like that is through the spirit of his son being in us. It's through Jesus that we are redeemed. God doesn't just make things good for the sake of making them good, but it's all about buying us back through and to the person of Jesus. Jesus. We're redeemed from our bondage to sin, but we're also redeemed to be in step with Jesus. This verse talks about the spirit of Jesus being in the hearts of those who are born again, connecting us back to God through the spirit by the way of what Jesus has done for us. And we see this again all throughout Scripture, all over the place. Again, starting with that proto-evangelion, that first instance of the good news of the gospel of Jesus in Genesis 3.15. Jesus is the one who is the offspring to crush Satan's head. In Isaiah, he's a prophet, and in Isaiah 53, 6, he tells us that there would come into the world one person who would suffer and be rejected for the sake of us all, that the Lord has placed on him the iniquity and sin of all of us. That is Jesus. I just finished up, um, we're in a series with our students right now looking at um, the reliability of the Bible and is Jesus is a real person and all of that. And we're looking at all of these prophecies in the Old Testament that are scattered all over the place that point to this Messiah, this Savior who would come to make things right between humanity and God. And all of that is realized in Jesus Jesus himself says in Matthew, again, that he came not to be served like an earthly king just ruling over everyone, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His life was given to buy back, to redeem, to reclaim our own lives as now belonging to God. In John 3, 16 and 17, we see that Jesus says the world's going to be saved through him, not through like a panel of pick your own savior, not through our own hard work or good deeds, but the world will be saved through him. And in the epistles, in these letters that all of these apostles wrote, they make it very clear that salvation and redemption is found in Jesus alone. We're made right with God and we are brought back to him only by the means of being found in Jesus. And it's on Jesus that the entire idea of redemption hangs. And on Good Friday, we're going to look at this even more in depth, that this redemption is found in Jesus and specifically in his work on the cross and in his blood that is shed for us. So I'd encourage you to come out to hear that as well if you we want to get even more into what this redemption looks like. But again, we're not just redeemed and ransomed from our life of sin. We're also redeemed to Jesus, to be with him, to be transformed by his love and to continue his redemptive work in the world. But like, why? Why would that matter that we now get to belong to Jesus? And it's because of the last thing we can learn about God's redemption from this Galatians passage is that it's continuous. God's redemption is a continuous work. So if you'll look with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, it'll be up on the screen as well. It says that, so after all of that, after all of that, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir Through God. And so we see that you're no longer a slave, no longer just blindly following orders, but you're a son, you're a part of God's family. And if that is true, then you get to inherit the things of God. And if we are following along with Jesus and we're redeemed to Jesus and now we are becoming more like him, then that means that we get to then join in God's redemptive work in the world, even as we ourselves are still being redeemed and transformed. And we find people all throughout scripture who are both continuously being redeemed and participating in God's redemption. Keep in mind that concept of the agorazo, that word from a couple verses ago. So like if we now belong to God, if God now has ownership of us, then we get to become more like God as we're a part of his family and be about the things that God is doing. And it reminds me of when I was a kid, my dad would always tell me that like my actions in the world represent not just me, not just Michael, but that it would represent the right family. Like I was carrying with us, you know, I represented all of us to the world. What I did and who I was showed who we as a collective family were. And it's similar here that as like as God is redeeming us and bringing us back to himself, We become more like him and we then begin to, we bear his image to the world. And we see lots of examples of this all throughout scripture of people who are both being redeemed and also participating in God's redemptive work. And so you see Joseph, he was very faithful to follow God's leading in his life even when things were just absolutely insane and his life was redeemed, his life was bought back out of the craziness to bring good things to Israel. He was in a really bad situation, and I invite you to go read the story of Joseph. It's absolutely crazy what he went through. But um, God brought him back in his faithfulness, ended up as a rescuing an entire nation. Like that's how him being faithful and him continuing to join God's redemptive work ended up working out in the end. Like an entire nation of people ended up being saved. You see this in Esther and she famously follows God and her uncle Mordecai gives her this call of like, hey, maybe for such a time as this right now, you are here on this earth to join what God has for you here. And she steps into that and she follows that and again ends up saving an entire group of people because of her faithfulness to follow where God has called her to her life and her story was redeemed to help all of these other people. You see it in just the nation of Israel as a whole. There were lots of times where they ended up getting kind of exiled or they would lose battles and get carried off into other lands and other places. But God told them, hey, I need you to still continue to follow me and to continue to be transformed even as you're in these tough situations. And they brought good things to the lands that they went to. And this was kind of a theme of the Old Testament. It was that Israel, um, initially, God chose them to, like, he wanted to be their God, and they would be his people, and as he blessed them, they would go and share that blessing with others. Um, they did he wasn't to be special and secluded but often that's what happened they tried to keep it to themselves and so then they would start to get scattered out to all these other places but even in that God would say hey continue to be faithful to me continue to trust and be transformed by me and I'll redeem this situation in order to turn this into a blessing for you and for others they were redeemed to help redeem others You see in Matthew chapter 28 that Jesus tells us that he told the disciples and tells us that we're called to go and make disciples, um, teaching them everything that Jesus has taught to us and the fact that he is always with us even to the end of the age. We're redeemed, we're rescued, we're able to be with God in order to help continue redemption. We belong to God and we also take him with us wherever we go into the world. In Hebrews 11, it harkens back to the Old Testament and gives you an even greater list of all of these people who were continuously faithful to God's call. People who had their own issues and things that God was continually rescuing them from, but they participated in his redemption and reconciliation with others. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church to follow him as he follows Jesus. Paul had lots of stuff he was working on. He was continually being redeemed and transformed and sanctified, but he joined God's redemption work in spreading this good news and this love to others. It's an ongoing thing. God's redemption is continuous. We go from being slaves of sin, of following all of these things and being shackled to sin, is kind of the imagery, to being slaves of righteousness where God owns us and we are a part of him. But even in this verse, we see even as we are slaves, we're no longer slaves, but we're sons and we inherit and we get to be a part of God's redemptive work. It isn't just that we're redeemed and now we've got a get-out-of-hell-free card, but instead we're redeemed with purpose. Our lives are repurposed and changed as we become more like Jesus. We are redeemed with the purpose of participation in God's gospel narrative, Say that again, we're redeemed not just to be neutral, but we're redeemed with the purpose of participation in God's gospel narrative. In this grand story of death and resurrection and all that, we're redeemed with the purpose of bringing that to others. As we ourselves continually become more like Jesus, we get to join God's work in bringing Jesus to other people. It's all thanks to the fact that this is who God is, this redemptive work, this buying us back, this bringing us back into his own. We get to go and carry that out to others. So just as a recap, because that is a lot, but again, I think it shows that this really is something that is all the way from Genesis, all the way even to Revelation, this idea of God's redemption and his redemptive work really does carry through. But we see that God's redemption is constant, It's always been there. There was never a time where he wasn't willing or able to redeem us. It shows us his character. It reveals to us God's heart, which is for us and towards us and wants us to be in relationship with him. God's redemption is cruciform. We see it most clearly played out in the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. And it's continuous as we are both being redeemed and also joining God's redemptive work in the world. He's had a plan for this since the beginning He redeems us to join the work of Jesus as Jesus is transformed on the cross, ransoming us from a life of sin to join his work in the world as we become more like him. The good news of Scripture, again, it hangs on the fact that Jesus died and rose again. But the bigger good news is that God is always in the business of making things good. He is always in the business of bringing things back to shalom, bringing things back to the way that they should be the person and work of jesus christ and so as we go out from here and as we go back into the world and as we head towards easter this weekend i just have a couple of questions that i'd like you to kind of carry with you to reflect on um, as we as we go out from here just to be thinking about this idea of redemption and one of them is what has god been redeeming you from Again, if redeeming is this idea of, you know, transferring that ownership, of buying back, of ransoming, of paying out the full debt of something, what are some of the things that God has redeemed you from? What are some of the things that he is redeeming you from right now? Where have you been? Where's the journey God's taken you on? And then with that, looking ahead, what redemptive work is God calling you to join? Where are the people, the places in your normal spheres where God is calling you to bring that good news of Jesus and who he is? Even as you yourself are being transformed, we all get the opportunity to step into that work with God. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So again, as we go out from here, let's just thank God for his redemptive work already in our lives and then try to be more aware of joining that work as we go continuing to be like him in this world. So in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together, but right now, why don't we just bow our heads and close our service in prayer, and then we'll sing. God, we thank you that you are a God who is always there, that your heart is always towards us, that there was never a moment when you did not want to be with us. God, I pray that you would help us to remember and thank you for the places where you have redeemed us, the things that you've brought us back from, the things we're no longer enslaved to. And I pray as you continue to transform and redeem us, that you would help us to be aware of enjoining your redemptive work in this world, helping other people to know about the absolutely life-changing, transformational, self-sacrificial love of Jesus. God, we love you. Help us as we head towards Good Friday and Easter to just celebrate the fact that you are so good. You are such a good God. And that there's nobody else, there's nothing else in this world that even comes close to being like you. God, we love you. Thank you for redeeming us. Help us to continue to grow more like you as we bring that redemption to the world. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I invite you all to stand and